Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. All are welcome here. You're listening to unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from a lovely day's gorgeous blue skies in Fort Worth, Texas. Today, I welcome author pioneer in the field of spiritual emergence, a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner for over 30 years, and founder of the Awakening in the Dream community in Portland, Oregon. Paul Levy is uh, a a fascinating person. His latest book is called uh, Watiko, um, and is dedicated to healing the mind virus that plagues our world. So it's a pleasure to welcome Paul Levy to today's show. Welcome. Glad you're with us. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you, Paul. Thank you. <clears throat> so let's let's jump in. Just an overview. What is it? What's Watiko? Yeah, well, what Watiko is, it's an indigenous, it's a Native American term that really connotes this, um, you could say, virus of the mind. And it's um, it's a cannibalistic spirit. And it's the source of the incredible evil that we're playing out in the world, um, both individually in our minds and and collectively as a species. But what I point out is that hidden, encoded within the mind virus, it's actually helping us. It's helping us to wake up and to remember who we are. So it's a quantum phenomena. And it's a form, in a way, one way to think of it. So it's a psycho-spiritual disease of the soul. One way to think of it is that it's a form of this blindness, a psychic blindness, that, but it's a peculiar form of blindness that it's not aware that it's blind, that it thinks that it's seeing clearly, and it actually thinks it's it's seeing more clearly than people who are sighted. So, just in essence, it we it works through the projective tendencies of our mind in such a way that we hypnotize ourselves, that we entrance ourselves via our own creative agency in a way that creates a cocoon around us that's suffocating us. And when that gets acted out writ large on the world stage, you know, we're, we're collectively committing suicide. And, and that's a reflection outwardly in the external world of the inner disease of the Watiko mind virus. So it's, is it part of, you know, the conundrum of being human, right? We have this, um, this gift of being both spiritual and physical at the same time. And, you know, when we focus on the physical or, or the, on the limitations that we see around us and within us, 
then, then we begin to buy into that sense of separation, right? Which which creates division, creates all kinds of things. Is is this is this what we're talking about? Which which of course all religions talk about. And in the book, by the way, you you uh, talk of, uh, about many different religious traditions and how this idea in its various forms, right? What Tico sh- shows up. Um, so you know, some people might. I think you in fact you you talk with a Sikh in the book. And uh, he says, we have a word for this. It's called ego. Um, you know, I don't think ego is all bad. Uh, but, you know, the, Charles Fillmore, the founder of Unity, co-founder of Unity, referred to it a specific kind of ego. He called it adverse ego. You know, the ego that falls in love with itself and, and doesn't see that there's something bigger than itself. Like you said, it's a, a, a forgetfulness, a blindness. So is this what we're talking about? Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely correct. In other words, what I point out in my work is that every every spiritual tradition um, from time immemorial has been pointing at Watiko, but just in different languages, in different ways, and 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 not only that, but even you know the most visionary creative artists and philosophers and thinkers from time immemorial, they've all been pointing at Watiko, um, and the thing is. One real simple way of understanding Watiko is that, you know, it's this, in a way, this misidentification of who we think we are. Right. So here, here's how it works. So Watiko, this mind virus, has no creativity at all, but it plugs into our creativity and turns it against us. But it's a master impersonator. So in the apocryphal text, they call Watiko the counterfeiting spirit. It will impersonate us. It'll put us on. It'll fool us, and it'll offer us this fictitious version of ourselves. Oh, I'm limited, I'm wounded, I'm traumatized. And you see, because it has no power over us when we're in our true nature. But if we're not awake in that moment, that it's presenting us this fictitious identity, we then identify with its version of who we are, and then it has us. Because then it can... It can manipulate and control us. And so one final thing, if you think about what I just described, there are three things that happen. One is we give ourselves away. Second, we identify with who we're not. And third, we actually disconnect from our creative agency. Those three things are a recipe for madness, and that's Watiko in a nutshell. Is it worse today, or is it something we've had throughout history? Because if I look at all the world spiritual traditions, as you, you commented earlier, um, there, there you see it, right? And uh, you think about things being bad today, and then I think 50 years ago, uh, you know, when my dad was in the World War II and, you know, the horrors of that, um, it, it seems like it's always been with us, this adverse um, cannibalistic spirit right this this yeah no uh, totally it it's it yeah. iterated itself through the fractal of human history from time immemorial absolutely but one of the differences now is that we have weapons of mass destruction in our hands you know at the push of a button we could destroy our species and we're in the process of destroying the the biosphere the life support system of the planet you know when we didn't have those weapons 50 years ago or before so yeah, no, this is played out when, and I point that out in my work, when you really contemplate history through the point of view of there being something, some negative force whose existence is, you know, to be found within the psyche. 
that informs and inspires this self-destructive behavior, yeah, all of a sudden you see, oh my God, that's a way of contextualizing what's played out in in history. Remember listening to uh, some dialogue on the the Matrix, you know, the influential movie from a few years back now, and of course that famous line where you know humankind is a virus on this planet, right? And uh, speaks to what we're talking about, I think, you know, and and ultimately, if we play God as we are with, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and whatnot, we're, we're totally giving our power away, if you like, to um, a machine, uh, you know, however sophisticated that might be, and, and endangering our own souls in the process, right? So uh, the stakes are high, the, the ante has been up, as you mentioned, because we're, we're more capable now of uh, destructive acts, you know, even more than we were in the past, right? We can actually destroy our planet actually, you know, very easily. And we're yeah, doing yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, totally. Well, like one way you see one of the ways of, of seeing Watiko, because Watiko, it's a blindness. So it operates through our unconscious such that we don't see it. And, and as long as we don't see it, it has power over us where we unwittingly become an instrument through which it acts itself out. Um, and, you know, to see it, to see how Watiko operates in the world and within our own minds unconsciously, then all of a sudden we take away its power over us and we become empowered. But one of the, the key ways of seeing Watiko is to recognize that we're having a collectively shared dream, that this is nothing other than a dream, like a collectively co-created dream that we're dreaming up moment by moment into materialization. And I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm saying, no, just like a dream at night, where it will appear really real and objective and solid, that's the nature of our situation. And one final thing about that, when you recognize the dreamlike nature, and then you interpret what's playing out in the world as if you're interpreting a dream, where we feel, you know, so many people feel helpless and powerless, not in touch with their creative agency, it's very, very clear that what's at the root, like say if somebody had that dream and came into my office and the dream was what's happening in the world, and I would, I would help them to unlock the meaning of the dream, it's clear that, oh my God, the, the dreamer of the dream is not in touch with their creative power, so they projected it out, and the powers of the state, you know, external powers are more than happy to pick up our own power and turn it against us. But what that means is, to the extent that any of us connects with our creative power, that's the solution. It seems, though, that, you know, some people's dreams are better than others, right? So, so my dream is better than yours, right? I've got the full insight into things, whereas you're an idiot, whatever. You know, so we choose off into tribes, and this can happen politically. Uh, it can happen between nations. Um, you know, it certainly happens socially. Uh, we see all this terrible stuff going on on social media where people are attacking other people. So this, this is another aspect of Watiko, right? That, that it fools us into thinking that our perception is the right one, right? And everybody yeah, else well, is, that's is ex- foolish. That, that's exactly right. <laughs> like the thing about Watiko, it, fool, it fools us. It's a trickster. So it fools us into thinking that what we're seeing is objectively true. And and then, you know, and like one way of understanding this, just imagine being in a dream at night and you're holding a particular point of view. Whatever point of view you're holding instantaneously is reflected back by the dream 
because the dream is nothing other than a reflection of your own mind. But now all of a sudden, you, you're holding a viewpoint, you have evidence confirming the seeming objective truth of that viewpoint, so you get even more fixed in that viewpoint. The more fixed in the viewpoint, the more the dream just reflects back the seeming truth of that viewpoint ad infinitum in a self-reinforcing feedback loop whose origin is within your own mind. And what I'm describing is that you've entranced yourself. You've literally hypnotized yourself by your own creative genius. Right. There we go. Yeah. And then the, the good news amongst that bad piece of news it is that the way out is the same as the way in, right? This, this, you mentioned this throughout the book. You know, the, there's a gift within this adverse state of affairs because it's not real, right? And and so once we understand it, it it's uh, we're, we're going behind the curtain, right, and finding it's not as what we thought it was. Um, then there's the great awakening. So. Um, you know, in Hinduism and certain amount of Buddhism, they talk about Maya, right? The, the sort of the veil of illusion that um, that God casts over the, the nature of reality, right? And and it's you could say, well, it's it's confusing us. It's it's a hall of mirrors. On the other hand, you know, God created it, right? Uh, in order that we might, as you said at the beginning of the show, break through into something greater. So it carries a gift, yes. Yeah. Well. I'm pointing out exactly that, that, Watiko, it's a quantum phenomenon. And what I mean by that, just like what is the nature, when you have light, what is the nature of light? Well, sometimes it manifests as a wave, sometimes as a particle. It depends how you observe it. Same thing with with Watiko, that um, it's the source of the greatest evil and the self-destruction that we're enacting individually and collectively and um, and at the same time, hidden and coded in Watiko is its own vaccine, its own medicine. And not only that, it's actually helping us to wake up to the dreamlike nature. And But how it's going to manifest, is it, is it going to take us down and destroy us? Or is it going to help to wake us up? That depends on us. And it always comes down to us, right? I mean, unity, we don't like to talk too much about, you know, adverse circumstances, evil and all that, because we're, we're so positive-minded. But I think it's crucially important to look at the dark side, right, the shadow side of ourselves, if, we, if we're going to be holistic people. Um, you know, the problem with traditional Christianity is that, you know, we've um, we demonized half of our human nature, our, our psyche, and, and placed it in this thing called the devil, right? And and therefore we can no longer integrate that because the devil is, you know, this great adverse force. But in other religions, you know, and particularly Buddhism and, and Hinduism, I think there there's no such separation, right? Those darks those dark forces are, are very much part of the pantheon of our understanding. You know, we got Kali or Durga in Hinduism. We, we you know we have the uh, the wrathful deities in, in Tibetan Buddhism, you know, the, the counterbalance, the peaceful deities. So we need both, right, in order to fully become uh, actualized to who we are. We have to deal with that dark side, with that, that adverse. Yeah, that's absolutely right. In other words, um, you know, for example, in these wisdom traditions, these spiritual <coughs> spiritual traditions like, like Kabbalah, they'll talk about that the true light is to be found in the darkness that it's like hidden encoded within the darkness is is the real light 
And, you know, and and that translates just psychologically is, oh, needing to own your own personal shadow. But then it's not just personal shadow. It's the archetypal shadow. It's the dark side of God, so to speak, that we're being confronted with. But what I'm pointing out, you see, what I'm basically pointing out is that the Watiko mind virus is this revelation. It's revealing something to us that it's most important for us to know. And it actually is is spurring, it's catalyzing our evolution as a species. But if we don't recognize what it's revealing to us, then it just assumes its programmed function of killing us. You know, there's a moment in the uh, the Wizard of Earthsea trilogy by Ursula K. Le Guin. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a wonderful fantasy series. But, you know, like Lord of the Rings, it has, you know, a depth to it as well. There's a moment in there where Ged, one of the lead characters, is uh, trying to integrate this dark side that you're talking about. And this dark side keeps following him around, um, but he has not identified it. But there's a moment where they meet each other face to face and uh, they each ask each other what, who, what, what their names are. And, and of course, Ged says, I'm Ged. And then the adverse force turns to him and says, my name is Ged. And that's a powerful moment in the in the book because you you recognize you know this this Watiko this this dark force is is us right and once we own up to it when, once we can integrate it once we can look at it and name it 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 totally transforms right because it's no longer lurking like the shadow we've we brought it out into the light you know you talk a lot about Jung in the in the book too. Um, and the shadow is sort of a form of the Wetiko, right? I think it's it's got other references too, but but uh, it, there's integration needed, I think. Yeah, no, that's totally right. Well, the thing about Wetiko, it feeds off of separation and fear. So you know, if we project out the shadow, and um, you know, and being a dream, as soon as we project out our own darkness. Then the seemingly external world will reflect that back into the waking dream. Will somebody will carry our own evil, and then they'll be the embodiment of it, and they're actually reflecting our own darkness. But now we have evidence that the evil is outside of ourselves. So of course, then we even become one-sidedly identified with the light. And and then of course, what do we? You know, when you amplify it, what do we try to do? We basically try to destroy the character of our own, you know, the, the, the person who's carrying our own darkness because that's an externalization of the initial inner process of wanting to exterminate our own darkness. Now we're playing out our inner process out in the world by trying to destroy the people who we projected evil on, and by doing that, we have literally become possessed by evil. And that's another way of describing Watiko. You know, so to see through, because the projection of the shadow, that is the the shadow in action. That's how the shadow works, you know. But so the idea being for any of us to reflect upon our own darkness, you know, that actually helps to integrate our darkness and actually gives us more of, you know, this weight in a, in a sense of then we become more substantial of a person and it actually gets us more in touch with our light, ultimately, to the extent that we own our darkness. It's it's so difficult, though, isn't it, to see this, you know? And often the the people who, uh, you know, on the one side call themselves freedom fighters, right? Uh, but the opposition calls them terrorists. And depends on which side of the divide you're on, you know? 
but often we we masquerade our our projections as being freedom fighters you know for a greater way we've got to destroy this thing that's evil and we see it played out unfortunately in the in the coronavirus you you have some chapters on this we'll talk about that later but uh, this whole idea that uh, we we destroy ourselves in the name of our own freedom which is kind of an insane thing and and you mentioned that we are kind of insane yeah well the thing about watiko it's a collective psychosis and um so yeah no we are in the middle of a collective psychosis of titanic proportions and more and more people i mean i've been writing about this for 20 <coughs> 25 years and in the last couple of years more and more people are you know really seeing what i've been pointing at and you know the madness is playing out in so many different ways and um and keep in mind that collective madness you know is not separate from us we are literally dreaming up the madness and we're we're affected by it you know we're made sick by it it's reflecting back our own madness it's a feedback loop and the point is is that for any of us to really go through that experience of really engaging with the you know the insanity that's in the non-local field that's in the environment that's in the world and which that's within our own mind and this is related to owning our shadow owning our darkness and it's related to unlocking our incredible create creativity that you know our nature is to be creative and you know to see to have the realization of our true nature is to realize oh our nature by definition is creative so then we become we embody being creative we are just a creative being when we realize our nature and the more we become a creative being the more we know our nature in a positive feedback loop that in a way we could say creates light upon light and i think many people understand that um but feel uh, defeated by the idea that you know the whole world seems to be blind or insane and so even if you wake we wake up will there be real change you know and i i know when we first went through coronavirus in the first year people were saying well uh, maybe this is a lesson we don't have to live the way we did before and of course as soon as we we say that it's over or whatever it's not over but people have said that and we want to get on with their lives they want to get back to not what it's always been like so there's there's no shift so how do you talk to people like that you know that are just despondent with the idea that i believe this stuff but but it seems like the whole world is, is so bought into this blindness there doesn't seem to be much hope yeah and i would i would point out you know that when we get caught or hooked by pessimism or despair or depression you know and feeling helpless and hopeless we're actually part of the problem you know we can't then be part of the solution and you know of course we have all the evidence we need by the appearance of things to confirm our pessimistic point of view but that's you know that's an aspect of watiko because if i can just bring in you know i i wrote a book about quantum physics and quantum physics is offering us the medicine for watiko and i can talk about that but in essence quantum physics is saying at each and every moment you have these quantum entities and they exist in a state of potentiality and what that means is that any possible state they could ever exist in they're existing in in this potential state and the moment we observe 
that quantum entity, it actualizes into one particular state and all the others just, just vaporize into parallel worlds as if they never existed. The point is, is that even if one of those possibilities is highly, ridiculously unlikely, that could still be this very next moment, the way this moment manifests. And, and to connect that to, to the real world, that means that our species actually waking up so as to avert the, the myriad catastrophes that we're creating and that are converging on us. Quantum physics is saying that's an absolute possibility. And if you're not envisioning that, then what are you thinking? You know, then you're under the spell. Then you're under the curse of Watiko. Right. So keep the faith, right? Know that that is, that's possible. And I, I love that, you know, tie-in. We've had many people on the show talking about the, you know, the interface of quantum thinking with, with uh, creativity and, and the nature of the world. It's very fascinating because I think it's, it's absolutely true. You know, to close out the first uh, segment here, it reminds me a lot of the hungry ghosts in, um, in Tibetan Buddhism, you know, where they, they've got a stomach the size of the earth, right? An eight-mile-long eight tube that leads to their mouth, which is the size of a pin pinhead, and they, they're trying to get sustenance. And, and you know, how do you, how do you get sustenance to such a big stomach with, with a tiny pin-prick mouth? And uh, so it sums up this, this frustration, I think, that we, we get into. You know, when we're, when we're a hungry ghost, when we really buy into Watiko, that then we feel totally uh, that we'll never be sustained, right? We're, we're, it's, it's totally hopeless. But of course, we're not hungry ghosts, right? We are we are beautiful beings of, of spirit. But we've all been there, I think, at times when we feel like that hungry ghost. Yeah, well, that's totally right. It's the one way to think of it. It's like there's this abyss <clears throat> that that's insatiable. And no matter how much we try to feed it, you know, that emptiness in ourselves, that void, it, it, right. it never <coughs> it never gets satiated, and and that just becomes an endlessly self-replicating feedback loop. Oh Lord, folks, this is this is heavy stuff, isn't it? But it's powerful stuff because you know, in, in order to change, we have to really look long and hard at the quote problem, uh, and and not avoid it, not project it, uh, but to look courageously at it uh, and see it for what it is. And, but I love the idea that when we do that, you know, poof, it disappears because it, it has no reality in and of itself. It, it, it is a parasite um, that, that, that sucks energy off um, our true selves. And, and so if we refuse to do that, then it just it dissipates, like turning on a light in the dark room. You know, there's, there's not a, a gradual thing. It's an immediate shift, right? A quantum, a quantum leap. I'm, I'm with um, Paul Levy. We're, we're at the end of the first segment. I'll be back to talk about his fascinating book, uh, with Tico, Healing the Mind Virus that Plagues Our World. Join us after these messages from Unity. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. 
You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Promoting positivity and inclusivity, you're listening to unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. Welcome back to today's show. I'm with Paul Levy. We're talking about his book, uh, Watiko, which is a worthy successor to the classic Dispelling Watiko, which uh, is a quote by Sting. So uh, praise indeed from Sting there. Healing the mind virus that plagues our world. There's a great quote in the back of the book towards the end uh, from Allen Ginsberg, the uh, seminal uh, thinker and poet. And uh, he said this, he said, the, um, the warfare's psychic now. Whoever controls the language, the images, controls the race. And that was a prescient saying. I don't know when Alan came up with that one, but uh, it's, it's so true in our modern world, especially the world of screens and social media, etc. Um, we've always had propaganda, um, but it has become even more writ large in recent decades and, and recent years. So very apropos, isn't it? And of course, unfortunately, whoever controls the, the images, uh, if, they're, if they're selfish, if they're using it for um, particular gain, um, then we got Wetiko going on, yeah? Uh, manipulation, false information. We're familiar with the fake news, um, which is on both sides of the spectrum, right? According to who you talk to. Uh, so, you know, this is another um, problematic nature of um, dealing with Watiko in, 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 in the modern world, right? Yeah, well, I mean, just to remember, Watiko, it's an inner, an inner disease of the soul that plays itself out through the medium of the outside world. So, in other words, that's to say that what's playing out in the external world is reflecting an inner state of a psyche that's under the thrall of Watiko. So... You know, um, the thing about Watiko, it splits us in two, and it creates this cognitive dissonance. And in the world right now, with all the fake news and misinformation and the mind control and the propaganda, it's getting harder and harder to really know what's actually true. And that's in the service of Watiko, because then we become split internally, and we can't discern truth from fiction and you see, because one of the things that Watiko does, it actually disables our ability to discern. And so, yeah, but it's an important point to remember that what's playing out in the world, be it, you know, with all the creeping totalitarianism or the fake news, alternative facts, misinformation, propaganda, mind control, that's all reflecting how Watiko works inside of, of a person's psyche. I'm reminded of uh, George Orwell's novel, 1984, which was written in 1948. Um, again, a very prescient book and um, talking about, you know, newspeak, as it was, he described it, you know, where uh, the opposite was true. The Ministry of Love was the place where people got tortured and, and um, brainwashed, etc. And, and uh, very, very true, though. We're, we're living in 1984 scenario in many ways in in our world right now and unfortunately it's one of the banned books you know that uh, uh, 
schools are banning 1984 because it's too dangerous to read. Well, we need to read it because like, we can't escape this trance if we if we don't own up to some of the stuff that's going on. So again, we we see it writ large in, in what's happening in our society. Um, you know, let's talk about projection. We mentioned it earlier. You know, another a, a huge way to avoid really looking is to project, right? To to see it, our our own inadequacies played out in others, um, and it's it makes us safe and and um, uh, you know okay in in a crazy world if I got somebody to blame. And we can do it personally, interpersonally. We can do it in tribes, um, politically. We can do it nation to nation. But it's it sure feels good to project, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's an adrenaline rush. In other words, um, to to scapegoat, to shadow project, like I think of in the collective works, Young calls shadow projection the lie. And who's the liar? But, you know, Diabolos, the, the devil, Satan. And so the idea being is that there's a correlation between scapegoating, <clears throat> projecting the shadow out onto, a, you know, an other and you know the you know satan or the devil or evil and like i was saying before projecting of the shadow is itself the the, the you know the shadow in in action and um but a thing i want to say too about with all you know with 1984 one of the things when watiko is around our voice gets cut off and we don't feel safe to express ourselves and think about all the censorship that's happening in the world and just remember, Watiko is an inner disease of the soul that somehow has a magical ability to extend itself out into the seemingly outer world and configure events to reflect the psyche under its spell. And there's incredible censorship that's happening. Anybody who's challenging the agreed-upon mainstream narrative is deplatformed, demonetized, censored. And, um, you know, and that's one of the most chilling things that's happening in the world today. And that's why it's so important for, for any and each one of us to really connect with our, with our true voice, with our inner voice, and to express ourselves creatively. Because by doing that, that, in a sense, that transmutes Watiko. You know, in, in, again, coming back to 1984, you know, when Big Brother uh, finally brainwashes the protagonist Winston Smith and his girlfriend you know there's a little poem that comes out from Winston's mouth that says I sold you and you sold me under the overhanging chestnut tree or something like that and I, and I remember crying when I first, first read that because it seemed so sad you know um, so rather than dwell on all the sadness how do we get out of this um, let's spend the rest of the show uh, talking about um, the treasure that lies within this seemingly harsh environment that we we find ourselves in right sure, now. Sure, sure. Well, I can like I was saying, you know, Watiko is a quantum phenomena, so it's both. There's a superposition of states. It, it contains the deepest evil or the greatest blessing, and how it manifests depends on us. So the idea being, like, think about it. Since the lockdown, particularly, so many people have been saying, "Oh my God, this is surreal." And I'm like, yeah, totally. It's it's even easier to recognize the dreamlike nature because the way the world is manifesting is so dreamlike. And think about when you're in a night dream and you recognize the nature of your situation, that you're in a night dream, what do you realize? And what you realize is that the seemingly outer world is reflecting something inside of your own mind. 
Okay, so in other words, to recognize the dreamlike nature, and it's become easier to do that with all the madness that's playing out. That's one of the ways to to heal and solve Watiko. Like one other way, like I was saying, you see, Watiko, it has no creativity, but it turns our own creativity against us. It like imprisons our creative spirit. So to the extent that we actually can access that energy that's informing Watiko and express it alchemically, transmuting it into creativity, that then heals Watiko. One other way is if when we remember who we actually are, when we connect with our true nature, Watiko has no power over us at all when we actually connect with who we are. And um, and then also to, to recognize in physics, they talk about the field. Einstein says the field is the only reality, the non-local field that, you know, transcends third dimensional space and time and we're expressions of the field we're contained in the field the field pervades everything it's everywhere at every moment including inside of us and within our own mind to recognize that all of this is to pop out of the illusion of imagining we exist as a separate self because that in essence is what disease when i first came across the idea of what i didn't have the name but I remember I named it malignant egophrenia, ME disease, ME disease. It's a misidentification of who we think we are. And so to the extent we're identified with a separate self, then fear arises. Then there's others. Then fear arises. Watiko feeds off of fear in a self-generating feedback loop. And so what I'm pointing out is all of those things, recognizing the dreamlike nature, the non-local field, being creative, connecting with who we are, um, you know, and seeing the synchronistic matrix that's informing all events in our world, that this this universe is like an oracle that's speaking symbolically. And when you when you recognize that, all of a sudden, it becomes way more synchronistic, just like when you recognize you're in a dream. The dream then becomes an oracle, and, and more synchronicities manifest. What I'm describing is an expansion of consciousness. That's the way to heal Watiko. But the amazing thing is, is that Watiko was the very thing that catalyzed that expansion of consciousness. So is Watiko evil, or is it secretly in service of the good? Well, ultimately, if all things work together for good, right, if we're in a benevolent universe, whether you believe in God or not, if the universe is a, a creative place of, of uh, you know, quantum possibility, that, then you, the answer has to be yes, right? That the, the whatever is showing up ultimately is for is for our greater good. It, it, the, the, ch- the chips are high, stakes are high though, because um, we can destroy ourselves in the process, right? So we can be burned up by the energies that uh, we we have we just don't understand, but foolishly use uh, to our own ends. I mean, I think this is the 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 Faust myth and you know other. Uh, other stories in our in our literature and religion where you know people were burned up because they foolishly and selfishly used used these forces so we, we know we can't do that that's that's only going to self-destruct and our whole planet is one big organism we can you know fry it up if we're not careful right i mean cl- climate change is real uh, i think we can admit that now and we have to do something about it because it's an outpicturing, if you like, isn't it, of this of this virus um, writ across the you know the stage of, of the planet's life. I mean, um, strange weather is outpicturing of the 
the dream, right, that we're creating here. Yeah, no, totally. And one way, I mean, just to associate for a second, like we're working on a dream, you know, I think of in the collected works, Young, you know, he talks about what Tico, he just didn't have the name. He kept on calling it different names, but he was totally tracking it. And, you know, the main name he called it was totalitarian psychosis. And if you think about what Watiko is, it's an inner disease of the soul that actually explicates itself through the medium of the outside world. So the way a totalitarian psychosis, Watiko, works, it gets into the psyche and all of a sudden it subsumes all the healthy aspects of the psyche to serve its agenda. And, and then it colonizes the psyche. It hijacks the psyche. It creates this shadow government in the psyche. It dictates to the ego. And all the while, the person who that's happening to is oblivious. They have no idea. And then so Watiko, in a way, the person becomes the host. And Watiko just you know, sets up shop. And, and literally, the person will be unwittingly become you know, you know, possessed and take, taken over and become an instrument for Watiko. Well, what I just described, which is the inner process of how Watiko hijacks and colonizes and sets up a shadow government within a person's psyche, that's actually getting reflected via the creeping fascism and totalitarianism that's happening in the world, you know? And and one of the things that freaks me out the most is so many people seem asleep to that that's happening on a global scale, that, you know, the powers that be are like, you know, they're trying to centralize power and control and take away our freedom. And um, And they themselves, whoever they are, they're just pawns in the hands of the archetype because this is like sort of an archetypal drama whose origin is to be found within the human psyche. And we can't blame it on the Illuminati or one of these shadowy, you know, structures that nobody knows anything about, but we, we say that they're controlling everything, right? That That's another scapegoating, isn't it? Is um, to put off the work to, to others when it must be our work that we, you know we have to be the ones to to make this shift. If, if it's well, but that's happen. not to say that's not to say on the relative level that there aren't people who are who are like profiting in a way that's creating enormous harm. Yeah, but but that but if we just remove them out of their positions, you know, over time, just other people would fill that role because it's just a role in the field. And right. unless we actually deal with the deeper archetypal process that's being revealed to us through what's playing out, and when, when we recognize that, you know, part and partial, that necessitates an expansion of consciousness, of snapping out of the illusion, like I've been saying, of imagining we exist in a way that we don't, i.e. a separate self, but recognizing that we're interdependent and interconnected, and the, the realization, the energetic expression of that realization is compassion. And that's why I continually talk about that compassion is is the dissolver, is the Watiko dissolver par excellence. Well, it's generosity of spirit, isn't it? It's moving out beyond ourselves to embrace and understand another person, to have empathy with another. And, you know, that's probably the greatest thing we can ever do, right? Because we're, we're moving from that stuck place where Wetiko likes to dwell, you know, Wetiko cannot dwell in an expansive environment. It can only dwell in the the black iron prison that you you talked about in, in the book, you know, where where we feel stuck and and uh, overwhelmed. When, once we enter this place of freedom, 
or entertain the idea that it's possible, then we're in a whole different paradigm, right? We've made the quantum shift into expansiveness. Somebody once told me, and I think it's true, there's only two ways you can live your life, you know, contracting or expanding. And uh, if you contract, you know, in, into something small and mean, then, then you don't have the power of these forces. But if you expand, then th those forces, that they don't dwell in the open. They, you know, they, they like the darkness, right? They like the fear and, and the sense of separation and the prison. They're, they're not about freedom or, or, or joy or connectedness. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally true. And, and just to remember, even in the Bible, they're pointing at Watiko, they'll, they'll talk about this mind blindness, and they'll correlate it to having a closed heart, okay? And the idea of having that closed heart that's not filled with love and compassion and empathy, <clears throat> but it's actually armored, that's related to this mind blindness. And you see, the thing I'm trying to get across to people is that everybody who comes across this Watiko idea and they really, you know, get it, they realize this is the most important thing in the world today to understand. And it doesn't make a difference if you use the word Watiko. Every spiritual tradition and, you know, visionary thinker and artist, like I've been saying, they're all pointing at Watiko. And, um, you know, in the Castaneda books, Carlos's teacher taught, he's, he doesn't have the name Watiko, he's calling it, it's the topic of topics. If we don't realize what Watiko is showing us, um, you know, then we're, like I've been saying, we're fated to destroy ourselves. There's no question about that. And so I kind of feel like in such a weird position, you know, almost like I want to be on the rooftops just screaming, trying to get the word out, you know. And then I think about in the collected works, Jung talks about in times of collective psychosis, only one thing can help us. And he calls it a new symbolic idea. And that helps us to revision and recontextualize what's happening and who we are and our place in the world. And that's exactly what Watiko is. And it's not just an idea in a passive sense, but ideas are, the, are the, like the filters and the lens through which we envision and create meaning and create our experience of ourselves. Because quantum physics, when I was mentioning quantum physics is offering us the solution to Watiko, what I mean is that quantum physics empirically proved there's no such thing as an objective world. If we think the world exists separate from us objectively, no, that's a nonsensical idea that has no correlate in actual reality. But on the contrary, quantum physics empirically has proven again and again that the act of observing this universe actually influences the universe observed, which is to say the act of observation is creative. We have this enormous creative power, each one of us. We've always had it 24-7. So what I'm basically saying, we already have the solution to all the myriad world crises. We possess it. We are it. But we don't know we have it. That's what I'm trying to help people to realize. Yeah, to unleash that potential, right? And uh, I, th I think uh, you know this is this is what great spiritual teachers have been doing for millennia is trying to wake people up to the fact that you know it, it's a, it's an amazing, beautiful place to be alive, you know, in this planet with the the capabilities that we have, and uh, you know we go ho hum. Well, what's next? You know, what's for dinner? Um, you know, complacency seems to keep us uh, stuck and. We're mesmerized. I think there's a lot of mesmerism going on in climate change, too. You know, people are saying, oh, well, maybe it's not as bad as we think it is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, uh, that, that's a, it's a survival technique, maybe. You know, that, uh, let's not panic. 
But on the other hand, if we don't start waking up, you know, we're, we're going to be worse than a panic, right? Because, uh, it, you know, the stakes, as we said earlier, are, are high right now. Um, okay, we, we, let me tell people about the next week's show, and then we'll have a few minutes left to um, share some encouragement for something we could do this week. Okay, Paul, uh, share that. Sure. Um, next week, uh, author... Minister and meditation teacher Susan Shumsky joins me once again. She's always great when she comes on. Um, this time we're going to look at her new book. It's called Prosperity Meditations, Everyday Practices to Create an Abundant Life. And she's very much in touch with uh, what we're talking about today, I believe, in terms of the antidote to, to selfish thinking. So that should be a fascinating show, too. Uh, but in the last couple of few minutes, let's let's talk about uh, encouragement. Um, some te- definite techniques, and you've mentioned quite a few in in the in the show so far. Um, but something that we can practice to go away and practice today and tomorrow and the next few days that uh, can help us shift sure. beyond uh, the control of Watiko. Sure. Well, I imagine we all, when people hear me describe Watiko, everybody can relate because think about it. That part of us that feels we're not living up to our potential or we're not being as creative, you know, or we feel blocked or stuck in our creativity, you know, I think we can all relate to experiences like that. And now people have asked me, well, where did Watiko come from? What is the genesis? Did it happen thousands of years ago? Was there a negative ET? Was there a collective trauma? And I'm open to any and all of that, but I actually point out that Watiko that it gets propagated through the ancestry, the the ancestors, you know, multi-generationally, and it actually gets dreamed up each and every moment. In other words, we are unconsciously colluding and participating in the generation of Watiko, or not. Or, if we're awake, when it arises, it, it spontaneously just liberates. And so, in other words, we are actually involved in the creation of, of, you know, Watiko, which is a dreamed-up phenomena. So what I would say, if people really, if you have some sort of meditative practice, a mindful practice, just go within, and when you experience Watiko in your mind, you experience that block or, oh, I'm taken over, I feel stuck. Well, think about it. You never experience that other than in your awareness. So in other words, you're participating in creating that experience. And then all, then all of a sudden, it's not this experience of feeling, you know, feeling burdened by Watiko. It's not something that's happening to you as a victim, but you're actually co-creating, you're participating. And um, that, so that would really be, I think, a really good way in. Yeah, in Unity, we talk about there is no separation. There's just simply a sense of separation. I think you're, you're speaking to the same idea. You know, we bought into this sense of separation and because we bought into it, we can buy out of it too, right? We can we can get beyond it. It's it's not this um, terrible gulf right. between us and and the the you know the creative universe. We we are the creative universe, and and so um, that's that's the the beauty of this. Another thing that comes to my mind too is humility. You know, uh, all the great masters that uh, knew their stuff were very humble. You know, Socrates said he was you know they said he was the wisest man in Athens because he, he, he knew nothing, right? Um, Jesus himself says, I, I, I have myself can do nothing. It's the, the creative energies, you know, the Father within me that does, does the work. Um, 
And I, I think that even the Buddhists, you know, when they said, are you a God, are you an angel, you know, what what are you? And then he just said, I've just woken up, you know, um, very humble, simple, down to earth. And I think that's part of the healing, too, isn't it, is uh, to to separate, to get get rid of your false identification of, of our humanness, you know, as ego, in order to be the everything that we are as this universe the flow of this universe in and through us. I mean, that's powerful. Yeah, no, totally. And like, I would say it like I was so appreciating your articulation because when people come to me and say, well, I feel stuck or I'm stuck and I point out, I go, well, wait a second. I understand your subjective experience is that you feel stuck, but you are not stuck. Who you are, your essence, your true nature can never be stuck, that that's a radical difference. And the the point, you know, what you're pointing out is that, yeah, when we become creative, the create the creative process is not something that an ego does, but rather we get out of our own way and allow ourselves to be an instrument for something, you know, higher dimensional or, or that's beyond our ego to come through us. And then we're just the conduit to to birth that. And that I think about my books. When I'll write my books and then I'll read afterwards what I've written, I'll be like, wow, this is really good. Like, who who wrote this? I don't have <laughs> yeah. an identification with writing it. And the point is, is that we all are these, you know, creative artists. We're these shamans in training. We're wounded healers in potential. And we're all being called to step up and to step into ourselves and to offer ourselves to be in service for the greater good and you know for the whole that exists in the in the field and when sufficient numbers of us do that then we we can really then we can make a difference then we can change things for sure yeah beautifully put i know i know that feeling about writing the book i i wrote a book recently and uh i'm amazed now looking back on it good lord i i did i come up with all that how did that happen and and yeah, by the way, folks, exactly. I've been telling you the book's coming out. It's it's promised to be out by mid February, so we're almost there. Um, it's Unity and World Religions, so look out for it. I will definitely let everybody know when it's when it's available. Uh, you can pre-order it now at unity.org, but um, I'm hoping it'll be out soon. This has been a fantastic show. Thank you so much, Paul, for sharing this this important work with us. It's totally my pleasure, Paul. Thank you so much for inviting me. And thanks for listening, folks, and keeping this uh, voice of an awakening world on the air, breaking beyond limits into the limitless beauty that we all are. Thank you so much for listening. Bye now. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.